Stand at the crossroads of science fiction, gender identity, and race as Robin interviews the authors of the Four Higher Superhero series. And Wendy talks about the great and not-so-great sci-fi offerings on streaming TV. All this and more on The Leftscape! Hi, this is Wendy Sheridan, and you're listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. Welcome, welcome. And we have a lot going on this week, this month, coming up. Um, the What is the date that this is going to be released, this podcast? The 7th. This will be out on August 7th. 7th. Oh, yeah. Okay, so on the 9th, August 9th is... Verlakshmi Vatram, uh, married woman worshiping Lakshmi, good fortune for the family. That's the day. That's yeah. That's a special day on the night. Yeah, Hindu holiday, and mostly and married women, I guess, worship Lakshmi on that day. But um, I don't know. It's an. Inter- I don't really know a lot about that holiday, and I find I find it interesting. I want to learn more about it. Yeah, that sounds good. So uh, we could use another day for good fortune. And uh, the 13th is Left-Hander's Day. Who here is a left-hander? I am. Yeah, Are that's you? what I thought. I did not know that. <laughs> and um, the 15th to the 17th is the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. Way to make us all feel old. <laughs> oh, everything <laughs> makes us feel old now. Yeah. <laughs> and on the 17th is National Nonprofit Day. Uh, I have a nonprofit, and uh, it's definitely not making any profit. <laughs> National Honeybee Day. That's much better. Okay. <laughs> That's today's. All right. And I we want to wish happy birthday on August 7th to Wendy's brother. Do you want to yes. give a shout to your brother? Yes, I do. Happy birthday, David, if you actually listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> August 8th is the birthday of tennis player Roger Federer. Uh, the 9th was the birthday of Whitney Houston. So rest in peace, Whitney. Um, the 11th has a, a couple of cool people that I like and one weird one. Uh, happy birthday to Joe Jackson. And Bob One, who is the guitarist of Devo, Robert Mothers. Wow, he's really awesome. And it's also Hulk Hogan's birthday, which I think we have some listeners who are also wrestling fans. So. I'll put that out there. Uh, on the 14th is Halle Berry and Magic Johnson. The 15th is the birthday of Nipsey Hussle. And I know that a lot of people found that he did a lot in his community in LA. So I wanted to give a shout out to him. Um, the 16th, Madonna. The 17th, Robert De Niro. And the 18th is Frances Bean Cobain, who was the daughter of Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. And she's kind of got her own internet fame happening right now and some modeling and stuff. And I don't even want to say how old she is because, again, that will make us feel very old. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um, But anyway, uh, the 19th is uh, the birthday of Bill Clinton. And the 20th is the birthday of Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin and uh, Daryl Lance Abbott, better known as Dimebag Daryl, who played guitar for Pantera and Damage Plan. So, isn't he, uh, didn't he? Isn't he, the, isn't he the one that perished in that club fire? Or so, am I getting him confused with something else? I think he was shot. I think there was somebody else was the club fire. I, I can't remember, but I was thinking uh, that too. And, and I was, think I think that's. I don't think that was him. Okay, I, I do. Re- I don't know. I mean, it's probably a different metal band. Uh, if if one of our there. listeners knows, they can uh, write in. Uh, yeah, and, I, and Google knows, so I'm going to find out in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's just we're too lazy to Google. So I'll be recording. <laughs> hey, I'm Julissa Johnson from Muller She Wrote and the Racial Maddow Show, and you're listening to the Leftscape, the Shape of Progressive Conversation. So what's um, in the news this week? 
Uh, you know, I was actually thinking about um, some of the news we talked about last week. So I wanted to just make a mention. Two weeks of, ago. Well, yes. Last episode. Last episode. <laughs> yeah. um, I was talking about Trump's tweets and how, you know, I was saying, you know, I think we should pay attention to what he's doing and not what he's like tweeting about. And I think that was glib. And I didn't really mean that his horrible, blatant racism is not relevant because that matters a lot, you know? And yes. the things that he's been tweeting lately are just like horrendous and, you know, go back where you came from and, you know, everything's infested, you know, whatever. Especially it's my son's apartment um, buildings. Okay. My, <laughs> yes, exactly. My son loves that part out. He, he left out the part that Jared Kushner owns a whole bunch of horrible apartments in Baltimore that are infested with rats and shit. Oh, like yeah. Well, I think, I don't think you, I think that what you talked about, Robin, was what you were trying to talk about was that you have to be careful of just putting all the weight on the tweets and not looking at what he's doing. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't think you need to apologize for that. Or I didn't. I didn't find you glib. Clarification. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I'm glad. You know. I just did want to put a stronger emphasis on that, though, because I really do feel that the things that he says set a tone that makes it a lot more okay for people to say just horrendous things and to and to. And, and it helps cultivate those kinds of attitudes in our in our culture. And I think that that is really damaging. And at the same time, yeah, there's a reason to, there's so much going on that there's a reason to try to keep your eye on the ball everywhere and know, and to really pay attention to what's what's happening as well. But and, but, I, and I think part of it, he strategically tweets these outrageous things to move what the, what we're talking about in in our trending topics. Because we're not talking about Epstein anymore. We're not talking about, you know, a lot of other things anymore. Because he's he's done something else that's, like, totally fucked up. And and I, I also have to throw out there, you know, he's... he's he po he writes this racist bullshit, and then suddenly, you know, this the week that we're recording this, we just had two shootings on either side of the country. Hmm. Know, um, and and they're they're white supremacists, uh, you know, based. It's it's. Uh, I'm just you know my 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 pretend my in my blanket fort in my alternate universe, the the whole administration is on trial and at the Hague, and. <laughs> <laughs> That's my alternate universe. Mm. Uh, I'm also a rock star there too, but that's. Oh <laughs> uh, well, we finally got to hear Mueller talk at length, which was pretty. Um, well, I mean, I, I'm I'm glad it happened. You know, a lot of people were had a lot of opinions about it, but a lot about about his performance and ratings and how it was doing, like compared to other hearings that happened, and it was very. It was a very odd response in the news cycle, I thought. So I was just curious what people, what you guys thought. Well, I I wasn't, I was listening to it. I had NPR on and I was uh, drawing. I was, uh, I was finishing up, um, or I don't remember how far I got with this. I was doing a, an art piece that will someday be in a book if I ever finish the book. Um, and so I just had it on, just listening to it while I was working and, and uh, I think I, I might've missed some stuff, not having the visuals, but you know um, and then I, and then I made that, that silly little um, visual. That was my TLDR of the morning of the morning session, which was, you know, the Republicans were all doing one thing and Democrats were doing something else. And Mueller was basically saying, if it's in the report, I stand by it. You know, and if it's not in the report, I'm not talking about it. Mm, so, right. um, but it, I, I was just amazed that at least, at least it was better than, than some of the other things I've listened to from congressmen where it, it felt at least that 
all of the Republicans in there in the room weren't working off of the same script like they were like the last thing I listened to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were saying the exact each of them were saying the exact same thing. But this time they were, you know, they were it was really kind of amazing how they were trying to discredit him and he, you know, him being a Republican that served under, you know, both Bushes and and all this other stuff. It's like, you know, dude, he's on your team. Why are you why are you treating him like a hostile witness? Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Well, you know, I I I watched uh it was interesting. I watched um uh late night uh, uh Stephen Colbert. You know, Stephen Colbert had had the guy from Fox News, Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace oh, right. that is father's. Uh, that's his father's name. Uh what's Chuck, Chuck, no, not Chuck. I I know who you mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. He was promoting his uh, a documentary he did about his father. But also they were talking about um, Stephen Colbert was asking him about uh, it because the testimony Chris had Wallace, just happened sorry. that day. And they had such opposite viewpoints of how it went between Stephen Colbert and Wallace that Wallace was saying, oh, my God, it was great for the Republicans. He justified everything we're going to say. And and Colbert was saying, no, it wasn't. It was the exact opposite. And then I just thought the interpretation <laughs> was everything. That's what it really was. And I, I was feeling, and this is my own viewpoint, from being a teacher, uh, teaching public speaking for the past 20 years at the college level, is that some people are not good public speakers. A lot of people are not good public speakers, and and it's it's rare that they are. Uh, the percentage of people who are naturally good at it, um, I would say a quarter of the people maybe in, in my class. However, we've got there in Washington, we've got all these politicians, so they're the people who got practiced at public speaking, but Here's here's a, a guy who's not a politician. He's a law enforcement person, and he's he's good at his job. He's an intelligent person, but they're expecting him to be dynamic and <laughs> and have it flow. And that's what they the Republicans are pointing at that, saying, "Oh, see, he was hesitant to say what he was going to say, so he must be lying." No, it's not at all. It's just that he's an average person as far as public speaking goes. That's all. And he's yeah, also I, in his 70s. Right. He's also and I think he's an, he really seems like an introvert to me. Like he wants really wants no part of this whole thing. Yeah, that too. <laughs> he wanted to write his report. He didn't want, you know, T-shirts and podcasts and opinions and about him endlessly. It's kind of really kind of a bizarre thing in a way yeah you know? i think that there was a build-up too i mean having robert de niro play him on tv <laughs> <laughs> he can't be like robert de niro. it's kind of hard to live up to that right yeah <laughs> but yeah the thing that i thought about first of all it was very uh it kind of was amusing to me that so many um news commentary was about you know, performance and someone's even saying like, well, the ratings were much lower than the Kavanaugh hearings. And I'm like, well, yeah, he wasn't yelling and screaming about how much he likes beer. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't about that. It was, you know, it was, it, and, and the thing is that he really wanted to say very little and to say exactly what he meant and to be very, very precise. And that's what he was doing, you know? So, yeah. and I think that, that, you know, it is a bit of a Rorschach test and, in the sense of, you know, conservatives can see in it that he didn't, uh, he didn't find a way to um, indict. Therefore, there's nothing to see here. That's the end of story, which is not what I gather from this report at all, because there's a whole lot in it beyond that, you know, of course, but, but, um, and I'm hoping, and I think that will bear out, um, I wanted to read something. There's a, an article by Renato Mariotti in uh, Politico, and it's called "Actually, Robert Mueller Was Awesome," <laughs> and I and I agree with that. And there's like one paragraph or two I wanted to say. Yeah, um, yeah. Tell us what it said. Yeah, he says, "In the long view, the verdict of history depends most of all on Mueller being seen as nonpartisan, measured, and above the fray." 
an operator whose work is unimpeachable and can be relied on now or after Trump's term or years from now as a bulletproof statement of fact. So all the little details of the case that members were trying to ferret out pale in comparison to his ability to maintain that status and be seen as a reliable agent of impartiality. During the hearing, that, that was clearly his goal. In doing that, he succeeded and history can thank him for it. That's good. I think I agree. You know, I mean, there's one of the part of me, you know, because I do wish for a certain outcome. Like it would be great if he stood up and said, you know, normally I would be yeah. impartial and wouldn't be injecting my opinions. But now is the time in history where we have to do that. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. part of a lot of people I think would wish that. Right. Exactly. That's not going to be I, the case. But I think, I think the letter that the vice chair of the House Judiciary Committee published this week um, that they are they are starting on um, the investigation for impeachment mm -hmm. is I think that that letter is a direct result of Mueller's testimony and and you know what's been bubbling for for weeks and i'm hoping uh that i mean this no, is we don't think they would have done that anyway i don't know i mean usually wouldn't wouldn't the chair of the committee do that and not the vice chair mm. i think you know those the three the three congress people who who signed that letter um were you know they're saying you know we're going we're starting with this we're doing this now and and uh, and I haven't heard you know any any talk about you know the Speaker of the House trying to shut it down or anything like that. So um, and then I read this morning that there's 111 or 127 congressmen who are you know ready for to to do the to do the impeachment thing. So. Mm -hmm. I do think the, the the testimony helped because he really gave, in his one word answers, very clear responses to the questions that show that there was obstruction. You know, yeah, and and definitely talked even more at length about the Russian interference, and that that's cool that he felt at liberty to really speak more about that. You know, yeah, that also concerns me quite a bit because we were attacked and everybody's kind of just going about their business. Like, yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> like it's over with, like it's all become well, or that it's all become normal, which is the weird thing, you know? Well, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm really kind of wishing we did a paper ballot for this next election coming up, but I know that's not going to happen. But uh, mm -hmm. um, why do you think there are, Democrats that are against impeachment? Uh, I think that they feel like it might backfire. You know, well, they know that we're not, there's no way to get anywhere in the Senate. And so they think it'll just make everybody look bad, you know, liberals and progressives and Democrats, that it just will How be. How would it make us look bad? I mean, this is what there's, there's, if we don't do it, it's, like, why do we even have a government? Right. Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying I, I think that. I'm just saying I think that's what they think. Like, if you can't get the actual result you want, then why do it? Because people will just say, well, you failed. You know what I mean? I think that's what people are believing. Yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, um, but, but I I feel like taking the steps that, you know, if if this, then that. Like, if you have the activity, demonstrable activities that have happened and have been done by the president and, you know, various members of the administration, then the remedy is this, you know, and Mueller w wouldn't say it in those words, but he certainly drew a line to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I think, I, I, I you know, I, I think we should, I'm glad this is happening, that it's starting. Yeah, I, I, I we'll think they have, I think they have an actual, an obligation to, with the oath that they took when they took office to do this. You know, mm -hmm. um, it, it's, 
all of the things that are happening. Ah, <laughs> I, I don't know. You can't. You guys can't see me. I'm waving my hands in the air, <laughs> <laughs> like I care. <laughs> waving my hands in the air, like I care. Um, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting times we're living in, and that's in the Chinese curse way. And I'm so not happy about it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. In a weird way, I was inspired by Mueller in the fact that it showed that somebody can actually be um, level-headed and balanced about something. Mm. You know, because I think sometimes you just have two, at least two camps, mostly, mainly two camps just like screaming at each other. And on the extremes, nobody's rational at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was kind of cool to be able to see someone who's like, I'm going to talk to you about facts. This is what we found. This is what's real. And leave it up to people to fucking do something, you know? Mm. And whether or not we do or not, I, I, you know, I hope we do better things, obviously. But um, it was something, it was, it was kind of refreshing to be like, okay, you can be a... You can you can look at the world that way, you know. Mm. Now, the my, the other flip side of it is is this someone who, in World War II, could be like I was just following orders because he is so meticulous about staying within the lines, you know. That in one sense, it's it's helps us. I think it helps the world to be able to be to have someone who's balanced and can like present what has happened and and look and look at it in black and white you know but well, you have to you have yeah. to have a trial because otherwise there will always be there will if if there isn't anybody doing that then all of the facts will be forever in doubt yeah that's exactly exactly and and we we've gotten too used to this whole idea of spin people taking taking something and spinning it that's driving me crazy when he's saying these are just the facts mm -hmm. it's like dragnet what was that character joe friday joe friday <laughs> just the facts man just the facts man that that's what i was thinking of yeah so we'll see what happens next but i think um i think it was definitely an overall positive thing you know despite what people were claiming on the news <laughs> about it <laughs> So now we're in the middle of this um, uh, impeach or not impeach. Yeah, we're in the edges of some, it starting or something starting. So we'll see. Be interesting. Coming up next, we've got my conversation with Alana Fallon and Kevin Patterson. They are working on their second queer polyamorous POC-centered superhero novel. It's called For Hire Audition. And uh, we talked about a lot of great stuff. They have an Indiegogo going to uh, get this thing done. I think it'll be going for about one more week when uh, you hear this. So please get in on it. It's, uh, they're great storytellers and great people in our community. So uh, take a listen. Lovely listeners, we love you all, and we'd love to hear from you. So post your comments on our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And please go to iTunes or wherever you go to get your podcasts and give us a five-star review. We really need those reviews, and that would help us out a lot. Thanks a lot. Wendy here asking you to protest by mail with protest postcards, as seen on the successful Postcards Against Fascism Kickstarter. Twelve different designs to choose from or get all of them in a special collection. All the profits from the child separation cards will go to Races in Texas that provides legal help for the detained immigrants at our border. Time to do something. Mail a postcard. Hey, 
Hey, this is Robin Renee with The Leftscape, and I am here with uh, two great folks I'm really excited to talk to. Uh, Alana Phelan, who is a community organizer. She's the polyamorous librarian, offering workshops, public speaking, and relationship support. And Kevin Patterson, who is known for the Poly Role Models blog. He is the author of Love's Not Colorblind, Race and Representation in Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities. And together they co-authored For Hire Operator, which is a book that I really loved and it came out in October of 2018. And the second book in the series is on its way. So I'm really happy to welcome Elena and Kevin. Hi. Hi, Robin. Hey, <laughs> thanks for having us. Yeah, it's really great to talk to you. All right. So um, I'm sorry if you're tired of telling your origin story, but for Leftscape listeners who may not be familiar with you, I would love to hear a little bit about how For Hire came to be and how you wound up working together on this project. Um, so when I was writing uh, Love's Not Colorblind, um, I was taking in a lot of different media. I ended up watching the San Junipero episode of Black Mirror. Uh, the, the 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 cute one that everyone loves, the one that won like a bunch of awards. And I just started having like ideas about like a couple of young women meeting, learning about tech, like, like bonding over technology and then like forging like a friendship and a partnership. And like I put Love's Not Colorblind on hold and ended up writing like 50,000 words of a story that I didn't think anyone else would ever read. Did you do that one on NaNoWriMo? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, and it was weird because like I, I came into it maybe 10 to 15 days into the month. Uh, Alana was posting about it all the time because that's a, an Alana thing to do. And I just picked it up and started writing and writing and writing and writing. And it took maybe about a month. And I wrote, like I said, 50,000 words of a story I didn't think anyone would hear. And then one day I brought it to Alana. And that's where I come in. So <laughs> he brings me, he sends me this book and I read the first scene and I'm like, no, I'm out. And he was like, what? And I said, I just don't think women talk to each other like this. I don't think women interact like this. I find it too competitive and it's off-putting to me. So forget it. <laughs> so, then, so then some time passed and we like went off into our like respective corners right and then kev said i really like this and i really want you to look at it like critically i i want you to do this so i picked it back up no i refused to pick it back up <laughs> i said tell sell me on this story tell me what it's like tell me what it's going to be like uh, tell me why i want to read it and so he starts telling me the story and i'm like challenging him on it and saying like, oh, well, this character doesn't sound very sympathetic. And he's like, I love that character. I'm like, okay, well, how, how do we make this person sympathetic? And then at one point I was like, hey, Kev, when does your story start? Like your actual plot? And he's going to be embarrassed, <laughs> but it started about halfway through. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So all this exposition and then story. Yeah. Well, I mean... And that was the thing, like I hadn't even touched the document again. Mm. And the first thing I told him was cut the first 25,000 words. Wow. And he was like, no. And I said, <laughs> put it aside, we will use it later. And he believed me, which is good because I was totally <laughs> serious about it. Cause that's going to be book three. Yeah. Mm. And oh, wow. so the second half of book one became the actual book one. And I did a bunch of editing work and then he was like, write a scene. And then my name was on the cover all of a sudden and it was very confusing, but uh, yeah. Yeah, like Ali kept saying like, okay, well you can change this and change this and edit here and edit there. And I'm like, or you could just write it. Like you've got really good ideas, write it. And now she's a co-author. That's amazing. That's really cool. I, I've never, I mean, I've worked with people as a musician and other ways, but to author something that, of that length is pretty, pretty amazing. Um, so I am, I, I really like the fact that you're specifically interested in featuring people of color, people of different genders and polyamorous folks in within the story that's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's creating a universe where there are superheroes and operators who are kind of like work in the shadowy underground. And it's a really interesting 
story of fiction and you're also wanting to bring in specific um, ways of representing people, you know, who aren't, who don't usually see themselves. So I'm curious about how you strike a balance between the art of storytelling and the, and the political cultural importance of, uh, of representing people. Uh, something I say all the time is that like, um, like if I meet native American folks, I'm not going to meet them in the middle of like some stereotypically Native American adventure. I'm going to meet them because they're a family of red lobster going to get some fish like I'm going to get some fish, you know? I'm going to see them on, you know, online at Wawa. <laughs> and I, I wanted to make it a point to like create something where this is like science fiction. This is a superhero uh, sort of universe, but like the people of color who are there aren't there because they're people of color. They're there because people of color exist, you know, like uh, people with different like uh, gender identities or sexualities and, you know, and uh, an able body statuses, like they they don't exist to tell a story specifically about them. They tell us, they, they tell a story because they live in a world where stories are being told and those and like their identities inform what direction that story might take or some of the things that are uh, different about it. But like the story is still going to be the story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, there's this uh, meme that's going around Facebook and it's, it's going around in a bunch of different forms, but it basically boils down to, oh, are you going to end this friendship over politics? As if politics is this very specific thing where we get into a booth and we vote and then we're done. Right. And that it doesn't intersect with this concept of who we are as human beings and, and how it affects the world and how we affect the world. So this idea of having people who exists in in the world is just representative like kev said of who is in the world and as someone who is a librarian who primarily works um with teens right so a lot of my stuff is is young adult young adult literature has a huge push right now to make sure that lots of different people are writing lots of different books and that so many different stories are being told and you do see some of that in adult literature but the push in publishing is not half as big as far as I'm concerned. Now, of course, I'm seeing this from, you know, my own biased perspective of mostly seeing teen books. Mm -hmm. But I still think it happens because when I walk into a bookstore, I don't see the nearly as much queer fiction, especially, um, that I would see if I walk right into the YA section. Right. Because you walk into the Barnes and Noble and what you see first are the adult books. Here's the mm -hmm. bestsellers. Buy them now. How many queer people are in those books? Not half as many as I'm going to see in the teen section. And so when Kev was like, hey, I'm going to make this series and this is who we're going to center. I was like, yeah, get me on board with this. Um, you know, have everybody not not just let us speak for ourselves, but also let us speak for for people who don't necessarily get seen on the page in regular adult superhero literature or mm -hmm. fiction depending on if you want to call it literature or not which is like right, a right. whole other thing <laughs> that's a different yeah it's a different it's a different conversation altogether it's like what is literature yeah. versus what is just you know like pleasure reading or whatever and i just think yeah. it's all i think that's nonsense like if i go into a bookstore it doesn't matter to me if something is written by, you know, John Grisham, John Updike, or I'm trying to think of someone who, who isn't just put in a box because she's a woman, but like one of my favorite authors is a romance novelist and I don't really read romance. Um, she started out as a romance novelist and then she moved into what they call chiclet um, <laughs> or now they say women's fiction. A right, right. Bit more. But this idea that like, she's in a different class like this is a woman who on her pages, that was the first time that I heard about um, certain types of like relationships that were equal, right? The books that mm -hmm. I tend to read, you know, especially growing up reading like, you know, stealing, um, stealing Harlequins from, you know, your grandmother's collection or whatever. That's a lot of imbalance in those books in terms of relationships. And so when I found her books, I was like, this is amazing. And to tell, to, 
to tell the world that she doesn't matter as much despite what she's doing and what she's subverting compared to the same middle-aged white guy who's telling the same story about how he's in love with this like skinny little 18 year old blonde like (laughs) how, how is this an argument how is this an argument we're having Exactly. Exactly. You know, oh my gosh! When you started okay. up saying like um, talking about a meme that you had seen, I thought you were going to bring up the meme about like I want to see black vampires, I want to see black pirates, I want to see black uh, black people appearing in, in fantasy stories, um, because that's like that's exactly where my mind went. Where so often when you see um like just like just using like black folks as an example like so often when you see black folks in fiction they're only there to justify like a story or like the, their their skill set or their narrative or the location justifies the necessity for a black character right. it's folk. a black story right yeah exactly. or whatever right yeah yeah and like a lot of science fiction uh, posits that they're in like a world like a post-racial world this post-oppression world but a they never explain how that came about and b they the story damn near always still centers like a cis hat white guy so like if i'm watching star Wars, if i'm watching star trek and like damn near all of the captains are still cis hat white guys well like it are you still trying to tell me that like in a merit-based society that they are still the very best there is? Like it took how many different uh, iterations of Star Trek before we got a black guy, you know? And what's that? I said, yes, I'm shaking my head agreeing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, and people were, were upset about this new star, this, uh, this new Star Trek, uh, Star Trek discovery, because it wasn't a cishet white guy helming the, the enterprise or whatever. Like, if this is a world that's supposed to be away from that, then everyone should have a story being told. Absolutely. I, I actually really learned a lot reading uh, for hire in a sense that, well, it's funny. It was, I really like the, th- the seamlessness with which you use the they, them pronouns. And that was something that I obviously care about and think is important and also felt really awkward using sometimes just, just linguistically. Yeah. And it just the flow of it and just that it was such a natural part of the story and um, some of the characters that by the end of the book, I was like, oh, this is it's just part of language, you know, and it felt really wonderful. And it was kind of cool that that was there um, in the midst of the story, you know, so I think it was really successful in that way. Well, I have a non-binary kid mm-hmm. and I definitely had problems at first using they them pronouns. It felt clunky. It felt awkward but that's not the point. Like that's on me. Right. I wasn't, I mean, at least I, I did not step out and say like, well, you know, it's so weird because it's, you know, a plural word, except that we use it singularly all the time. Right. Oh, Mm -hmm. you know, Oh, they left their keys here. Somebody did. Right. Right. We use it. And so nowadays, um, it's not unusual for me or my friends where if we just, if, you know, we've met somebody, we're not just going to default to what we think it might be. So we're just going to use they, them sort of naturally. And that's all it is. It's just usage. The more you use it, the more common it seems. And like you said, by the end of the book, it seemed much more natural than it did before because you got to see it in context over and over again, normalized. Absolutely. So I want to know a little bit about how you create universes, you know, like how, like, I guess it's just, it's a very different kind of writing to me to think about. And did you, whether this sort of the ideas that sort of come to you or you, you know, at some point you kind of have to sit down and say, okay, this is kind of how this world works. Do we, do we really Kev? Do we? Or maybe you don't. <laughs> no, all maybe we, you argue about it. All we do, all we do, is talk about how everything works all the time. But we also grew up with Marvel and DC, mm-hmm. so it's not like we don't have these universes that already exist, you know, and yeah, that we can't, you know, we can see how it works. Yeah, like uh, there, there are definitely bits and pieces that we that we borrow from, um, like like Marvel and DC, like the John Wick series. You know, there's. Um, 
there's a little bits and pieces and you jumble them up because that's just sort of how ideas form. You see something and it makes you think of something else. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. So give me the elevator speech on the book that's coming up for higher audition. Um, so <laughs> sorry, Kev's looking at me through the camera, like which which one of us is are you, are you doing this? Tell me you're doing this, but no, nope, it's all you this time. All right, so um, actually takes place around the same time as Operator. It's a smaller scale story, and it with two different characters uh, who don't appear at all in um, Operator. Now it's the story of Vanessa, who's a uh, a young woman, a barista. Uh, she her life got derailed when like something she had a real passion for got sort of ripped away from her. So she's just sort of drifting, not knowing what like um, what path she's gonna take. And she runs into B girl, Camille, who is a veteran superhero of a few decades. And her career just never really took off the way she wanted it to take off. So she's been sort of floundering as like um as a has been. Vanessa is floundering as a never was and the two of them are going to sort of see if they can balance out uh what their careers have been lacking and uh possibly riding the ship getting you know getting the train back on the tracks very cool i'm excited i'm a, I'm a little bit sorry that all the same characters aren't in the second one because i got so like into into them and like oh what's <laughs> gonna happen next you know but that's a good ploy because i'll keep reading the books and maybe i'll come back around so that's very cool that's exciting. Um, yeah, like that was actually a game plan. I'm um, sure. <laughs> yeah, where like 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 we said, like um, the the initial draft that I wrote because it was it ended up being two halves of a, a of a story, and the second half became operator. The first thing we were gonna do was take that first half and turn that into the next book, but I didn't want to feel. Like we were trapped writing about the same characters over and over. So like I wanted it to be more of a universe where we could dip in and out and something is going to be those same characters. But right now we're going somewhere else and maybe for books five through whatever, or, you know, four through whatever. Well, who knows? Who knows where we'll go? Very, very nice. So how is writing fiction similar or different from the other work you do, like creating workshops and um, making alternative spaces for queer people, poly people, people of color? Because um, I, I feel like some, you're, some of the same work is getting done, but in a very different way. I mean, we fight as much, right? <laughs> Actually, I think we fought less when we made workshops together. Um, okay. Yeah, I think... I think that when you have this idea of representation in mind, right, like it feels to me like what Kev primarily does is work around these these concepts of community and identity. And so that's no different, right? The, the idea is to integrate and educate um, these concepts that people normalize them, whether it's polyamory, whether it's blackness in polyamory, which is, you know, Kev's amazing book is about that. Kev's award-winning book is about that. (laughs) 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 Um, I just think, I think that, you know, when we, when we talk to the people who read our book and we talk to the people that we do workshops for, the responses are the same. I see myself in a way that I don't usually get to see myself. And I think that that's what's the most important. Um, So obviously we can only bring our own perspectives into the workshop. And then what we do is we sort of take, um, one of the workshops that we do uh, together is called Cautionary Poly, which is sort of an intro level, like here's where people are making mistakes. Here's some of the things that we see that are similar in these stories where people are, you know, coming into the community and they're tripping up. And so, like, if you take those, this idea um, and you, wow, I totally lost it because I just like went right to doing the workshop and how much fun it is. But, you know, we're taking these experiences from other people 
and, and we're, we're combining them into one work for everybody. And that's the workshop. When we are writing mm-hmm. stories about people, we're taking our experiences, right? As, you know, queer people, as polyamorous people, and we're putting them on the page. We're also taking experiences from other people, our friends, our partners, our families, and we're making sure that those people get represented as normally in the books as they are in our lives. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that we do that is we pay consultants, right? Because oh, okay. if we're going to have a character in a book who is not like us, we are not going to put that book out unless at least one person looks at that and says, oh, you're representing me correctly or you're not representing me correctly. And that's really important to us. That's very cool. Very, very cool. Um, so how can people get their copies of For Hire Audition? Um, right now we're in the middle of the crowdfunding stage. Uh, we've got a, uh, we've got a crowdfund going. Um, I don't know if it'll be up by the time, um, this, this, uh, this airs, but like in case, just in case it's available at, um, this should air, I believe, on the August the seventh, I believe. So I think it'll still be going. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, right. then um, it's a uh, t- uh, tinyurl uh, dot com slash ph audition or sorry fh audition as in for higher audition. So tinyurl dot com slash fh audition. Um, we're doing a crowdfund. We're offering signed copies of the paperback, uh, early copies of the ebook, uh, custom artwork, and, and more. And also, if you haven't read um, Operator, we're also offering like uh, like the two pack, you know, for uh, for uh, for higher audition, for higher operator, both by paperback, both by ebook, whatever it is, you, whatever your whatever your fancy is. But um, we're crowdfunding to cover the cost of publishing and that's like you know shipping printing and like isbns and so on we're really excited to get it out there we were super excited to get operator out there and we're just excited to get audition out there yeah i'm looking forward to it for sure um anything else you have going on that you want to say how we can reach you generally out in the world on the web events happening anything like that um, I'm at, I'm Poly Role Models on everything. I'm Poly Role Models on Twitter and Facebook. Um, I'm Poly Role Models on Instagram. Together, we're For Hire Mag on Facebook. So like for facebook.com slash For Hire Mag. And I'm not presenting, but I'll actually just be attending Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit in uh, Alexandria, Virginia in August. And I'll be attending Sex Down South uh in atlanta in september but like anytime even if i'm just attending like i'm i always have like a few copies of uh of my books with me i'm always down to chat i'm always down to like um to to like you know kick it give free advice over drinks hang out (laughs) socialize and so on nice how about you alana so you can find me at the Polyamorous Librarian uh, on Facebook um, and on WordPress. That's where I keep my blog. I actually do an advice column. It is for people who have questions about polyamory, whether it's people who want to understand it better or people who are having relationship problems. Uh, on Twitter, I am at Hello Librarian because I made my Twitter way before I made anything else. And right now I am working on quite a few things. I do a podcast uh, for myself, which is called A Book Today, where I just do these like silly little reviews of books because I have so many of them and I want to talk about them all the time. And my partners get really sick of having to hear it every single day because I read about (laughs) 200 to 250 books a year. And I also... Uh, have another podcast called The Source Wall, which I do with my friend Amy, and we talk about adapted works. So we talk about things like from comic books to the screen, so like Batman, or from like like Cruel Intentions, which is based on Dangerous Liaisons, which is based on this um, 
I think it's like an 18th century French novel. You know, so we do stuff like that, which is really, really fun. Um, I also write, I have a couple of short stories that are going to be coming out soon um, that I'm just going to be putting out on Amazon and Smashwords. And I'm working on a little book, the little tiny book version of my workshop support circles, which is about creating and optimizing your support network. That sounds like a lot of fun. And, and thanks for letting me know where to reach you. And I'm hoping everybody goes out and gets an advanced copy of your book and helps out. I'm really excited for the next one. Awesome. Awesome. We hope you love this one too. Yes. Thanks so much, you guys. Yeah, thanks, thank Robin. You. Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at robinrenee.com. And my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at facebook.com slash Robin Renee Fan. Tweet at me at Spirit Rock Sexy and follow me on Instagram at Robin Renee Music. I would love to hear from you. So the week we recorded this or uh, on the Friday before our session, uh, Amazon dropped uh, the new series, The Boys, based on a graphic novel of the same name, which I have not read. And uh, But at, at, as of this recording, I have seen everything but the last episode. <laughs> um, but uh, Don't do any spoilers. No, hopefully not. Um, but if you are an Amazon Prime subscriber, it's available to you right now. Um, and you probably have heard about it if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber because they've been plastering you know their their you know uh pre-show commercial that we're that i get annoyed about that they even show us because we're paying for the service and uh and every third thing on my facebook timeline is an ad for it so um and it's and since we're talking superheroes today i figured i'd bring it up because it's a it's sort of a it's a super powered, but I wouldn't call them heroes show. That's my one sentence blurb about it. Um, I will say that if you are not wanting to look at realistic gore uh, in your television viewing to maybe give this show a pass because it is definitely a really gory show. Um, yeah, that would not be for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I, I will, I let me preface this by saying, you know, in my 20s and 30s, uh, they, and I don't, I think it must have been the learning channel, but I used to call it the surgery channel, because I just remember sitting in front of the TV, eating dinner, which would usually be some sort of cooked meat of some kind, watching surgeons open up somebody's spine and do work on them or do a c-section where they take the uterus out of the body completely which really freaked me out but i could eat dinner and watch this i can't it's like i can't watch this show while i'm eating dinner so uh, take it or and that could be because i'm gotten older and and you know having lived life and i have a lot more sympathy for people's insides being outside of their body now i don't know <laughs> You know, though, for me, those are totally different experiences because I guess with a science background, I don't mind. I can totally watch Operation Channels, too. Okay. I well, find maybe. that really interesting, but it's like blowing people up and causing actual, like, harm on purpose. Yeah. Like, I don't... Well, I, don't I think that. that's that's it. It's the intent behind it. I blowing think that's people it. up or, right. or fixing them. <laughs> right. But I, 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 have, I have made the observation that they need to basically explode a human being in every episode so just <laughs> take that <laughs> take that in in you know the there the effects department really needed to get their you know five gallons of red stuff <laughs> and chum out into the camera um in every episode wow. so, so what did you like about the show um I, well i i like that what is it? Carl Urban is is like the star, and and 
and and I'm guessing the British accent that he has is his real accent and and not his um, DeForest Kelly impersonation that he did in the Star Trek movies. Uh, mm -hmm. That's where he came on my radar. He showed up in um, as as Doctor McCoy in the J.J. Abrams reboot of the Trek franchise. So um, so I, it's like I following those actors now during their their the rest of their careers now. Uh, so he's in that. Um, the child of uh, <laughs> Meg Ryan and their husband, their ex-husband. Johnson. No, no, the famous Quaid, Dennis Quaid. Oh. It's their kid is the other like main character. Actually, like, he's probably the main character. Um, and uh, so it's, and then there's this whole pantheon of superheroes. Um, and there's seven of them and they're called the seven and there was graphic novels about them in, in their universe and everything. And, and they're, they're presented to the, to the people as heroes, but they're really not. Um, and uh, I kind of, I'm really waiting to see how this all ends. Um, and I may actually go read the graphic novel because uh, I can handle a lot more gore if it's drawn and not photographed or not like movies, I, you know, cause I can see a scene like that in a graphic novel. And I was in fact reading one just yesterday. Um, it's one of the ones that's up for a Hugo award. It's called Abbott and it's, it's set in Detroit in 1972 uh, about um, a black woman uh, journalist who's covering a lot of uh, crime that the white, newspaper reporters don't really care about you know like stuff happening in the black community and then there's this whole occult thing that's happening and there's scenes in there you know they come across like a half a body like the lower half of a body and a bunch of blood and entrails and and there's a drawing of that and it's like okay i can deal with that but it's like when when like somebody blows up on this tv show it's like i can't look at the tv i have to go look at my husband and say yeah here's the here's the exploding guy for this episode yes. um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's more to it than that it's a it's a good story i think um but yeah it, and it's so it's and it's on it's on streaming so it's not really censored in any way there's a lot of uh crazy sex going on um there's a place like a superhero or soups supers sex club kind of a place and and there's a superhero who's stretchy like uh um <laughs> Like the guy in the it's Fantastic Four, yeah, yeah, he t well, it's and not he a Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> like no, not the <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you know, Mister Fantastic from the Fantastic Four, um, and uh, so the the creative team got pretty creative with what a guy who can stretch all his body parts can engage in with four people. Uh, <laughs> at the same time i'd and, like to invite that guy to my next party <laughs> <laughs> nice. so you know so there's uh, yeah i i am enjoying it i would like to be able to watch it while i eat dinner but that i'm okay um <laughs> maybe that'll be good for my diet because i'm supposed to i'm supposed to not eat and watch tv at the same time so oh yeah well that'll help that'll help you with that so uh, but it's it's really kind of um, it gives you a lot of interesting you know thoughts about you know why why Superman the character Superman you know he could get all despotic and and want to rule the world but he doesn't and and there's a guy in this um, the character is called Homelander. Mm. <laughs> wow, interesting. Yeah, well, he's he's like the Superman equivalent, but he's not an alien. Um, and he does he want to rule the world? I'm not sure. He's mm. he's barely he is barely controlled by the person who's in charge of all of them. Mm. And uh, you know, it's it's definitely it's definitely um, the superheroes have all been corporatized. And oh God. This yeah, is disturbing. 
<laughs> it's, it's, it's got a lot of disturbing things. It's like they have the biggest building in New York City and, and it's, uh, you know, one of these big glass structures that it, it's similar. It, it's like the Avengers have a building similar to that in the Avengers movies and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, if you're into superhero stuff and uh, you're not upset with, uh, with a lot of violence, <laughs> um, then, uh, then this movie is definitely, this show is uh, definitely something, uh, you know, a lot of my friends have been enjoying it a lot. It took me till episode four before I really got hooked you know, I was on the fence about it for that's a long time to stick with a show. You know, I, there was another the other show that I didn't stick with. I only I couldn't even get through the first episode. Um, I think it's on Netflix, and it's called Another Life, and that's science I was fiction. Wondering about that one. And it's, it's starring Katie Sackoff, who was um, Starbuck in the Battlestar yeah, Galactica. Yeah. Uh, she and doesn't look any older. She she does, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it, it's like that. That doesn't bother you know that that's a lot of people comment. I mean, Rich was commenting, um, watching the the boys that Elizabeth Shue is definitely older now. But yeah, it's been she's been uh, an actress for at least thirty years, I think. So yeah, she's she's older. Um, but the uh, another life. I could not get past 20 minutes. Um, the writing is just not good. Oh. <laughs> I, I feel really bad because I wanted to like it, but um, it was like there were in the first 20 minutes, there were two episodes of men interrupting their their superior officer or their manager, or, you know, the boss the men interrupted the boss to mansplain their jobs to them mm. to it, it, the first 20 minutes. This happened to two separate occasions and the women just sort of like, uh, yeah, they didn't do anything about it and, or even give them a look or anything. And, uh, and then um, they violated the rules of physics to the extent, to such an extent that I just couldn't watch it anymore between those those the, those two incidents and the fact that you know they're they're really really far away and they're having instantaneous holographic communication with earth which they don't explain it's like no i can't do this and uh and a lot of my other friends they got through two episodes before they gave up on it so apparently it's not getting any better so mm. i it, it, that's the expanse has spoiled uh, shitty science fiction for me. So, because um, they at least, you know, they, they take, um, they take physics seriously. And when they do violate what we currently know is physics, they have a reason for it. It's because there's this alien technology that's basically so far advanced. It is magic. And that's fine. If, you know, but because the, they explain it and they, and they will also have in the expanse, um, you know, someone will send um, a video to somebody from earth to uh, Ganymede, for example, and they have to wait a half an hour for a response or an hour. You know, they have to wait a half an hour before it gets to whoever it is. And, and then it's another half an hour to get the, the response back if they, you know, respond immediately. And, and it's also plays into how they make decisions during space battles and stuff, because it's going to be over by the time they get any information. So that gave me a sense of, of how things are supposed to work. That in, they put in some hours. thought into this. Well, they, 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 I read all the books too, and they, they really go into a lot of detail in, in, uh, in using, physics as we know it now in the solar system as it is now. And they had a couple of, a couple of technological advances um, in the expanse universe. One of which is what they call the Epstein drive, which gives you, you know, it would take, you know, a couple of weeks to get to Mars instead of two years. So they, you know, uh, which is, it takes like two years to get to Mars now. 
uh, because they're going all over the place. They're going to Jupiter, they're going to Saturn. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of people living in the asteroid belt and, um, and the transit times are in months rather than weeks and months rather than in years because of this, this drive that was developed in the, in the story universe. So, and, and in another life, they're just sort of hand waving everything. And, and it's like, yeah, they have to go to sleep on this long journey, but they're going like 60, 70 light years away and it's going to take six months. So, and then, well, I don't know. It, it's, it was like just the, the problems that their technological problems or the, the problems that they're, that are driving the plot don't make any sense from a physics point of view. And that, that kills it for me. So, mm. so of the, the shows that you're talking about today, Expanse <laughs> is the one you like the best. Oh, hell yes. Yes. And it's, it's, we're waiting for the new season. It was sci-fi channel dropped it and Amazon picked it up and they actually have announced at Comic-Con recently that they're picking it up for a fifth season. So we're getting at least two more years. So Expanse um, is on Amazon Prime? Yes. Okay, good. The first three seasons are on Amazon Prime. Those were the ones that were that the Sci-Fi Channel originally produced. And I think one of the reasons that the quality is so good is that the writers of the books, which are some of the best books I've read recently, um, they're producers on the show. So they they have say in how things are done. And I think the casting was really well done, too. So... Uh, so that's, uh, well, I'm going to put that on my list. <laughs> Once I finish watching Mr. Robot. You've been listening to the Let's Skate podcast. Find us online at letsgate.com, on Twitter at Letscape, and on Facebook at Letscape. The Let's Skate, the shape of progressive conversation.